Hi, I'm Jalen Rose, and welcome to the Renaissance Man podcast, proudly presented by the New York Post. Next up, we have Dr. Steve Perry. He's an educator, entrepreneur, and founder of Capital Preparatory Schools, which provide low-income students with an exceptional educational experience. I talked to Dr. Steve Perry about how COVID has affected the classroom, growing up in the inner city, and how there's no such thing as a bad kid. Let's go. Hi, I'm Jalen Rose, and welcome to the Renaissance Man Podcast, proudly presented by the New York Post, a show where we cover trends in fashion, entertainment, current events, and everything in between. Download the podcast right now. As a matter of fact, email somebody, text somebody, call somebody, tell them to download the Renaissance Man podcast and get that good old-fashioned soul food. I know y'all like the themes, the last call, the gone in 60 seconds, because y'all tell me, y'all leave comments, y'all hit me up when y'all see me at the games or at the mall, at the airport. Y'all let me know. I appreciate that. This week's theme is each one, teach one. Every one of us is an expert at something. We all have a breadth of knowledge that we've accumulated over the years. Even if it's as small as how to draft a perfect cover letter or how to utilize coupons to save the most money at the grocery store. Been there, done that with food stamps and everything. What's the use to holding on to useful information and only using it for your gain? Quiet as kept, that's selfish. As a matter of fact, Dalai Lama once said, share your knowledge. It's a way to achieve immortality. Just think about that. I can share my knowledge and achieve immortality. Win, win, win. Sharing what you know is just a small way to impact the world in a way that you might not even see yet. But let's be clear. Share the facts. Too many unreliable sources of information circulating these days. And by the way, get vaccinated. Let's not be another well of misinformation. The right information brings knowledge. Knowledge is power. And KRS-One once said, Knowledge reigns supreme over nearly everyone. My next guest definitely know all about that. Dr. Steve Perry is a highly in demand public speaker, educator, and founder. One of my mentors. He's the founder of Capital Preparatory Schools, which provide low-income students with an exceptional educational experience. And you know I take that serious. I talked to Dr. Steve Perry about how COVID has affected the classroom, growing up in the inner city, and how there's no such thing as a bad kid. You know what's crazy? I was called a bad kid. How about that? Up next, Dr. Steve Perry.
Hi, I'm Jalen Rose, and welcome to the Renaissance Man podcast, proudly presented by the New York Post. A show, as you know, where we cover trends in fashion, entertainment, current events, education, and everything in between. Our next guest is an educator, public speaker, social worker, founder of Capital Prep Schools. He has also advised Oprah, P. Diddy, Steve Harvey, and myself, and many, many, many more on the best educational routes for our children. I've learned so much from watching you, and I'm very grateful that you joined the show. I'm honored to welcome my brother, Dr. Steve Perry. You know, you don't know how long, like when I was in school and I was thinking of what I could be, I saw these badass brothers out in the Midwest and I was like, that. I don't know what that looks like for a career, but that, that's what I want. That's That's what I want. And, 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 and here we are, you long shorts and all y'all. I still got long shorts on. I won't put (laughs) short ones on because just, just to old to the fab five love you brother. Sincerely. I love you too. And as you know, um, I always reach out to you constantly for advice. You are one of the major people that inspired me that JRLA can be something that actually came to fruition. But when for you did you realize how vital a good education is? I grew up in public housing. Um, I was born on my mother's 16th birthday. My father was in prison by the time I was 18 years old. Uh, I would say, finally, <laughs> he's appointed, which wow. they got to come get you. <laughs> but, wow. um, and, you know, I was bad at school. I wasn't really good at it. Um, I, I remember the first time somebody in college called me intellectual. I was like, yo, <laughs> in, say it again. I, thought they were, I, I, I swear, like, I honestly swear, I thought that they were uh, being disrespectful to me because I thought they were, like, calling me white or something. Because I never, no one had ever spoken to me like that. I always thought that I was unintelligent. And, um, you know, I, it's, I was in Upper Bound when I was in high school, and um, that's a program that works with low-income students who are going to be the first in their family to get a college degree. And in my case, um, they sent us to this Hoods in the Woods program where they send you out and they, like, scare you into, like, this could be your life if you don't get your life right thing. And it wasn't because I was a bad kid. It was because I was in a situation where a lot of people thought the kids around us were bad. And I didn't know the education necessarily, if I'm going to be really real, was the way out. I just knew that every other route seemed to lead back in. So every other thing that everybody else was doing seemed like there was no viable, like it didn't seem like it was going to end well. And sadly for pretty much everybody else in, in the project that I grew up in, it didn't. So we see you now suited and booted. Keep a fresh cut about your style, about your intellect. But you mentioned you started in public housing. What was that upbringing like? My mother raised me. Um, She, you know, she did everything she could. Uh, She I'm in her high school graduation picture. Mm. Like she's holding me. Wow. I went to her graduation. Wow. And. um, Wow. You know. I hated being broke. I just hated it. I hated 
when we would go to the grocery store and the conversation that we would have in the car about what you can't get mm -hmm. and what you shouldn't touch yeah, and why you shouldn't touch it. Mm -hmm. I hated that, man. Like, I just hated it. And then I grew up in what would be considered an integrated community. So I was very aware, though not jet black, that I definitely wasn't white enough. And it wasn't going to happen for me. So I really just wanted to do something. My mother was the, um, I don't know if she was the president or the vice president of the uh, Tennis Association. I say because there's only two people in it and she was one of them. But I, I remember them taking me to meetings with them, um, fighting for things that seemed even as a child that it didn't seem like we should be fighting for. Like um, in Connecticut, it gets cold as you might've heard. And so we had, you'd have to pay your own oil. But back in the seventies, you couldn't go to the bank on the weekends mm -hmm. and there were no ATM machines. And so um, <clears throat> they wouldn't give us credit. Like you couldn't buy it on credit. So mm -hmm. we would spend a weekend with no heat, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which is not the business. It's not how you want to do it. So yeah. I just felt like I wanted to do something. And, and ultimately what ended up happening was the most radical thing I could do was to give access to education to black and Latin kids, the very people for, for whom the system was designed to never give them access. And then, you know, from I also thought that one of the ways to do it was to not look like people thought I was going to look. Correct. So, so for me, I wore a tie to school in high school because mm -hmm. I wanted to. Because to me, I was going to play with your head. You know where right. I come from, but you don't know where I'm going. Exactly. So I had a tie on. And, you know, my mother was the, was the queen of marshals, like marshals and TJ Maxx. Mm -hmm. I mean, she'd be crawling <laughs> on the floor underneath. So, so, no doubt. So, so, look, so, like, so if it said polo here, it had a rip down here. <laughs> no doubt. It had a stain. <laughs> I, I, let me tell you. So remember when the champion sweats? Remember when the champion turtlenecks came out? <laughs> yes. So I got, I had a champion pair of shorts. I popped the champion off. I sewed it up there and I was rocking uh, the champions. I was, yeah. That move right there. Right. That move had to be industrious when you were broke. And, and we have so many things in common as you just described, because I know what it's like to boil water to wash up. And I know what it's like to eat smelts. And you remember liverwurst, and having those conversations with my mom, counting everything and rounding it up so you don't get embarrassed when you get to the front of the line when you have the food stamps and you're looking crazy because you can't purchase everything. So as you started to know that education was your way out, when did you start to realize that you were taking it more serious than everybody else? So when I got into, you know, I like, I love sports. Um, and locally I was good enough to, you know, win state championship, but I wasn't you. And so, you know, at, at five, nine at the time, 145 pounds, it wasn't going to happen for me. <laughs> it wasn't going to happen for me. And, and the other alternatives were hustling. And, and, and let me be clear, mine wasn't a moral issue as to why I didn't hustle. If I'm just be completely because it's me yes, and you. That's what we need. They need to hear me and you have these conversations. It wasn't a moral issue. It wasn't, it, I wasn't slinging dope because it wasn't, it was effing cold outside. <laughs> Instead, yeah, You gotta want to stand on the block. You, you gotta really want to do that. You do. And so standing outside was just not the business. I couldn't, I couldn't reconcile that. And I was too small and light skinned to go to prison. 
Like, this was not going to go well for me. No, no, no. I was against that. All, all the roads that led that way for me, I was on a crumbling cliff, bro. Like it, it wasn't, it wasn't whether or not I jumped. It was either fall or jump, but mm -hmm. I was the cliff was gone. Like it was when my when I left for school, my mother, my mother finally could get up out of projects. Mm -hmm. Like it was finally a thing that she could do. Mm -hmm. Not initially, but a couple of years into my college, there's no like I can't stay in my mother's spot now. Like ain't right. enough room for me and a dog. Correct. So, um, for me, it started to. My my mind was about I want to do the thing that you say I can't do. Mm -hmm. So my first semester in college, I remember by the Thursday of my first week thinking, oh shoot, I used everything I learned. I'm in trouble now. I'm hit. I'm hit. Like I'm, like I'm legit in trouble. And, and and my whole goal was if I don't fail out this first semester, y'all gonna have a problem on your hands. Mm. Because if you don't knock me out in this first round, it's a wrap for you. Yes. It's a wrap for you. So the competitiveness that I had as an athlete, somebody who just always overperformed, was undersized, who was, you know, captain of the team, though I, everybody knows I wasn't the best player. Mm -hmm. Like, I, let me be clear. I just knew I wasn't the best. Mm -hmm. But I would bust your ass. Like, if, if we would just fight all day, mm -hmm. you your hands would bleed from beating me up more than mm -hmm. my will to stop getting beaten up. So I might walk out all lumped up you might like forget it man I'm, I'm tired of fighting you see beat you <laughs> like for me Correct. it was about finding a way to win and, and so when i when i finally started the gray started to come in i started thinking that maybe this thing could work for me um but i thought i was gonna be a politician i thought i was gonna come back to my community and run for office and and lead that way and I, I did run for office at 26 years old um it just wasn't for me like when i finally did it i thought this is stupid like what a dumb way to make a living who does this? <laughs> right. And there are people that do it for a living and we'll get to them at some point because, uh, you know, I, matter of fact, let's go there now. Since you're talking about, since you mentioned politics, right? How political and again, as the founder of a charter high school, they hear me tell these stories all of the time. So I'm so very happy to have you on because a lot of times people think that my opinion is political when my opinion is really financial. Like I understand the quality of a young person's education is defined by their zip code. And I know that there are laws that are being made to make sure that that still happens. So how are you politically in the fight to bridge the education gap? I'm gonna break something down to you real quick. If black and Latin people who are politicians right now wanted to change the way education occurs in the United States of America, they absolutely could. There are enough black and Latin people in most of the states and cities that we are in in large numbers that they could be the tip of the spear to transform education as we know it. However, too many black and Latin people go into go into politics poor, meaning they don't have their own money. And I mean that they really don't have their own money. Right. So what they do is they go in as Democrats and the Democrats are just the unions and the unions tell them what to do. And they do what they're told to do almost unilaterally. And so one of the things that the unions, the teachers union in particular, which is an overwhelmingly white, um, at least 85% white and overwhelmingly female group of people, they tell politicians what to say, when to say it, how to say it. And one of the things that they tell them to say is that they are for, quote, unquote, public education, which they dress this pig up and call it a prom queen because it's not the public education. It is 
something that has been privatized by the teachers union itself who live in the suburbs for the most part mm-hmm. benefit completely off of the backs of black and Latin children. And mm-hmm. so what ends up happening with many of the black and Latin politicians is they don't trip over whether or not their brothers and sisters and nieces and nephews and cousins in them and them as a group, they're the ones who mm-hmm. come to the cookout with the paper plate and the <laughs> aluminum foil before they get there. No the Cousins in them, they, they're not concerned about them as much as they are their own children. They take their own kids, put, put them in schools of choice. They take right. their own kids, call people like you and me, yo doc, can I holler at you mm-hmm. for a second? My son's on your waiting list. Is he really now? Mm-hmm. Wow, that mm-hmm. sucks. How'd that happen? Because if you just lifted the charter cap and gave me more seats, not only would your son not be on the, charter, the, the right. uh, uh, waiting list, but nobody's kid will be on a waiting list. Correct. So you have to call a spade a spade. And the problem that we're faced with is, is simply this. One of uh, the basketball coaches that we have at one of our schools said to me last week, he said, you know, they're still trying to figure out what you did up here in Hartford, like mm-hmm. how you did it, like how you got these scores, how you did these things. And I said to him, you know what? I do not understand. I'm going to be naive for a moment. I do not understand what the beef is with me. Like, I don't get it. And he said, because you try to solve a problem that people didn't want to solve. And Correct. that's why we're here. I love you, brother. And you know, this ride can be turbulent being the founder of a school, open enrollment, tuition free, public charter, nine through 16 model. We influencing young people from their freshman year in high school, have 400 plus now, have another 600 in secondary education. And I really get frustrated when I hear those conversations being had by people who didn't go to a public school. Ever. Don't have kids in a public school. And won't. And purposely make sure that they won't because they know that the public school isn't equal. Let me tell you one step. Let me take it one step further. If just the brothers in the NBA told the truth, mm-hmm. how many brothers in the National Basketball Association went to their neighborhood high school? I'll wait. Correct. Correct. And that started with HBCUs in the 60s and 70s, taking inner city players and black players, and, and now they start sending them to universities. And then when you get to high school, it's the same thing. Pluck the kid from the inner city, take him to the suburban school, give him a scholarship. Oh, take this kid from Detroit, fly him across the country to a prep school, make sure he's taken care of or she's taken care of and they can go to school. So it's like we will support you when you can entertain us. Always, always. And that's the point. For you, I'm pretty sure that led to you feeling like, you know, I'm going to be the founder of my own school, Capital Prep. What made you decide, obviously, to create your own school? And is it highly competitive to get in? So the first thing is um, I had we started the Upper Bound program, a part time out of school program. And what was happening, I'll tell you really quickly. What was happening was I would um, work with the kids over the summer prepping them for the upcoming year. So if let's say they were taking algebra in the fall, they would take algebra during the summer for six weeks. And what was happening was this particular suburban town, um, every time I would send my kids back to their neighborhood school, what I found was they kept ended up in this particular class called extended algebra. This, the town is Windsor, Connecticut. And they kept ending up in this extended algebra class, which and I'll just explain to you really quickly. It was three semesters of algebra, which meant that they would go to 
they would go their first full year taking algebra. Then they would go into their sophomore year taking algebra. They would take their, mm -hmm. their second semester sophomore year of math off. Mm -hmm. And they would come back in their junior year and start extended geometry, mm -hmm. which meant by the time they were taking the SAT, they didn't have the requisite math that they needed. So I would ask people in the school, hey, what did my kids do to end up in this extended algebra? Because I had them during the summer and I don't understand what they did. All my kids are poor. All my kids are black or Latino. And I kept like they kept ending up in this class. And I didn't know if they had failed a test or something. And so I came and I just real I just came on the humble. Hey, can you just explain it to me? Because I want to fix it. So then yeah. I hired one of their teachers from that school to teach the class the previous summer. Thinking, mm -hmm. ah, I got you this time. And then what I'll do is I'm going to take your books and I'm going to teach them from your textbooks with your teacher. Same thing happened. So I went back to the school system and I said to them this time, it was the second year in a row. I said, um, why are my kids in these classes? And they said, well, give us the list of your kids and we'll take them out of the classes. I said, no, no, no. Mine are coming out. Correct. But the problem is they keep ending up in these classes. And what I recognize is if nothing else, I could suck as bad as they do. But what if I'm right? What if I'm right that black and Latin kids are as intelligent, if not more intelligent than any group of children in the world? What if kids who have been starved of education were given an education? What would happen? What would happen? Within two years, we were U.S. News and World Report top performer high school. Within two years of opening one year. And then the next year on the, on the list. And, and that's crazy because I remember sitting back and watching CNN at the time. And I told you this story and just truly being inspired by the fact that you were the founder of the school and the bus driver. Like normally that's 10 different people to get from point A to point B to have that discipline, have that love, have that commitment. So you describe showing up on the humble, right? Showing up, passionate, caring. What's missing in our educational system? They don't love our kids. It's really simple. It doesn't take much. You know, it was so weird to me about um, when we did Black in America too. So that I said, we want to follow you um, when you're picking kids up. I said, why would you want to do that? That's boring. I, they're going to be grumpy. It's early in the morning and they're right. not going to want to talk to you. <laughs> They're high school kids. Right. Like, they don't want to talk to anyone. Correct. Like, our ride in with three smelly boys in the car is quiet. So you don't want to be in that car. Correct. And it stinks. Correct. And I said, no, no, no. We want you to. I said, well, I don't understand why you want to do that. I, I had some kids who had had some academic challenges up to that point. And how was I going to fix it? Got to get them to school early. We got to get these reps in. Correct. And, and so when you saw someone like Andre Drummond, squeezing his big behind in the back of the car. Yes. And Andre will tell you this. Andre sucked in, in, in his freshman year of high school. Like his first four games, he had one point. First time he went to dunk, he fell on his wow. back. He fell on his back. He, he wasn't even – his people who were close to him were not even going to bring him with them for the AAU during the summer. So he came to us, this new school, and I told his mother, I will treat him as my own. Mm. You, you can rest assured that I would treat him as my own. And I remember having a conversation with him and saying, son, I don't know if this basketball thing is going to work for you. Like, mm -hmm. like just be honest. Mm -hmm. It may not. I just tightened him up before his first scrimmage. I cut his, you know, I, I shaped him up, put him out there. Like, go ahead, son, do your thing. He went, he went to dunk, boom, fell on his back. I was saying, mm -hmm. please get up, son. Please get up. Please get up. Please get up. 
it was not because I thought he was going to be a Laker. Right. It's because I knew that he's a beautiful young man who deserves sure. the opportunity to be whatever God makes him to be. And I wasn't going to let anything academically or otherwise stand in the way of that. It just seemed to me, like, Jalen, and I know you understand this. I don't understand how people can meet our children not fall madly in love with them. Preach. Like, I don't understand how you could see that. Yeah, she got a funky little attitude. And you're like, it is 730. You walk in by your damn self. Like, who are you mad at? Like, you ain't even talking to nobody here. <laughs> but when you say to her, hey, beautiful, how's yes. your day going? Yes. And and then this young this young brother, big as a house, standing next to you. Like, why are you standing next to me? I ain't standing next to you. You standing next to me. <laughs> you want me to hug you, don't you? I don't want to yes. touch you. better not touch me. You better not touch me. <laughs> I'll touch you if I want to touch you. It, I don't understand how you could see those faces, those beautiful, amazing faces, and ever feel like doing anything but like opening your chest up and giving them everything you have. I don't understand. And I just don't understand it. Like, I literally, I don't have a, I don't get it. I don't I, get it. I, I so agree. And that's why I'm committed to do the work that I do in the community, the zip code 48235 that I grew up in. And just so you know, let me show you how you planting a seed influences people that you may never realize. Andre Drummond happens to get drafted by my hometown team. He not only becomes a supporter of JRLA, so do the Detroit Pistons. And you mentioned as a Los Angeles Laker, He's been with two teams since then. He and his mom continue to support our school, even though he no longer plays for the Detroit Pistons. So a young man that you made sacrifices for, your time, your energy, and cut his hair. Like, so you a barber? So do you cut your own hair? Like, yes. you see me with the cut and they talk about it all of the time. It's a conversation piece, but I've never cut my hair. Jawan Howard cut his hair. You cut your own hair? Yeah, I, it's not tight today, but yeah, yeah. What? How, how, this is a revelation for somebody that keeps a crisp cut. How did, how, how did this start? It started just like everything else in my life. Somebody told me I couldn't do it. So I, I didn't have, it goes back to being broke. I needed a haircut. Um, my grandfather had those, uh, like a uh, the the um, the shaver. Remember back in old school, they used to like just cut the edge off. So mm -hmm. I did that, and I said, "Okay, this this I could do." It. And so I started. Now, now keep in mind, I busted my head a, a bunch of times. I used my mother's eyeliner a, more than a few times. That was before people used to use the black. I no, no. I color I color my joint in more that than move. a few times. OG move. People right, talk right, about right. me rocking, and I'm like, talk to me when you get almost 50. That little How about that? that I got to use, it ain't no big deal, I promise you. That, that was 84. I was coloring <laughs> it in. So so from there, and then when I you know, when I got to school, again, broke, um, I went to the University of Rhode Island, so it wasn't nothing but a bunch of black athletes mm -hmm. and white people with no barbers. Mm -hmm. So I charged everybody $4 a head. So if you saw... If you saw the Rhode Island Rams play from 92, I mean, from 88 to 92, <laughs> that was me. That was me. The whole, the whole, the whole team. And, 
And then I used to cut stuff in my head. Like I used to cut like uh, whatever the song was, like Poison, uh, BBD. So I yeah. did <laughs> BBD on one side. I did the Slim Crossbones on the back. I mean, it was because I was my I was on my hustle, like right. So I had to let me know if you need a cut, I could do it. And so for me, it was just a way to do it. But yeah, I, I, I had to keep it tight. And since then, I, I you know I've been doing it. I, I've had my hair cut. I'm 51. I've had my hair cut by someone other than me since 1984, including my senior prom, five, six times. This is incredible. I can't, like, uh, this, I cannot believe the name of this episode is Each One Teach One, and you just blew my mind with that. I've never considered cutting my own hair. Never thought about it. And you do it and keep it crisp. Yeah, because it was a necessity. And then what happens is the, the regularity, like this is, so normally, so this is my routine. So on Sunday night, I cut my, my youngest son's hair and mine. So I cut his first and I cut mine. That's the um, and then um, and my oldest son, he's he's too pretty. I can't mess with his. Like, it's just too much. Like, it's, I'm not. He sound like me. <laughs> yeah. And, there, and so there were brothers like you on campus too. And it's like, I'm not. You know, I'm not cutting your hair while you're looking in the mirror. Like, I'm not doing that. Like, we're not. We're not going to do that. So I'm going to turn your black behind around and I'm going to cut your hair and I'm going to turn you back around. But if I got to if I got to sit there, and, whoa, whoa, wait, 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 I'm going to hand you the clipper. Again, I appreciate you and everything that you do. Like, you're a treasure and we must protect Dr. Steve Perry at all costs. But before I let you get out of here. I have a rapid fire segment called Gone in 60 Seconds. You ready to do this? Let's do it. All right, cool. Where do you like to shop? Because as I mentioned, you stay fly. For a so, suit. So my guy, Romney, I got a guy. He, uh, he and I work together. We've been working together for a decade and we go hard. I think his, I think his kids went to private school because of me. That's love. That's love. And rightfully so, because he keep you crispy. Who's your favorite fictional teacher? I mean, well, it's not fictional, but I can't watch Lean On Me without getting hyped. Yes. Like, I can't yes. watch you. I, I can't watch Where's it because... Where's my back? Right. I can't watch it because I'm too emotionally connected to it now. At this point, I know it too much. Like, it just, it means too much to me. And that's such a classic. Sears Sucker or Pinstripe? So I was in Barcelona and I found this chalk uh, line Pinstripe that I love. But there is nothing better than a Sears Sucker. Like, Sears Sucker, you come into any summer soiree with a Sears Sucker, of any color you could go from lime you can go from lime to to a light past any way those stripes come through game over what is the most essential item every teacher should have love on an alternate universe if you had to pick another career what would it be to be completely honest with you i i i be the hardest question that i ask i honestly believe i am having a time of my life, I wake up to go down, you know, go downstairs and work out. And all I'm thinking about is I can't wait to get to work. Like I feel like I'm shot out of a cannon, man. I, I would really have to work it out. I guess I would be the sixth, seventh member of new edition. <laughs>
So lastly, what is your one piece of advice for the class of 2021? Go humble, go hard. You, you, you have to respect the game. The world has a way of teaching you and you could come on the humble mm. with every really quick. Mm. Every religion prays one way or another, but they all pray with hands up or hands clasped, mm. but mouths shut, mm. heads down, prone, mm. kneeling, bowed. Humble. It is because and every single leader in a religion, the name that they use, imam, uh, rabbi, pastor, preacher, are all synonyms for teacher. And they say that the way to the way is through the word and all, it's through the word. And the word will give you enlightenment. But in order to be enlightened, you have to acknowledge the dark meaning that which you don't know, what you don't know, no matter the religion. You don't have to believe in religion, but the process of learning requires humility. And if you will do that, then it'll light the way, whatever it is that you believe in. So stay humble, stay hungry, go hard. Love and light, my brother. Forever grateful for your influence, not only to me personally and professionally, but to so many others. And I know your journey, just like mine, is just getting started. And we will be changing as many things as we can to help influence our community and our people. So I love you, my brother. Thanks again, Dr. Steve Perry, for joining me. Thank you, Jalen. Last call. Last call. I'd like to thank my friend, my brother, my mentor, Dr. Steve Perry, for stopping by the podcast. It was an honor. I love running into him. That's my guy. And having introspective conversations about education and how to better run our schools. And let me tell you something I learned from him. There was a time I was up five in the morning, six in the morning, and I was watching TV. And I saw Dr. Steve Perry, the founder of a school, Capital Prep. And you know what he was doing? He was picking up students on the school bus, driving it himself. The founder of a school, the chief fundraiser of the school, an educator, dedicating himself to inner city youth. And you know what I told myself? I can do that. And you know what I did? I actually reached out to him. I went to his fundraisers. I've been to his school. I was inspired. And you know what I did in 2011? I founded the Jalen Rose Leadership Academy, a tuition-free public charter high school in my neighborhood. And I want to tell you something. And you better pick up what I'm putting down. Listen to this very closely. Make sure you keep people in your inner circle who challenge you to be better. The great Nipsey Hussle. Let me tell you something he said. If you look at people in your circle and you don't get inspired, you don't have a circle. You have a cage. Your circle is extremely important to your trajectory. Make sure you continue to build with people closest to you and invest in educating yourself and others this is getting fun i'm the renaissance man see you next week